Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Christian. I'm a member here at Ridgetop Church. Um, and today we're going to be continuing through, like everyone said already, but uh, through the Apostles' Creed. Uh, we've talked a lot about how we want to be a church that's centered on Christ and how Jesus is our connection between the Father, the Church, the Holy Spirit. Um, so in the last few weeks, we've been grappling with some of the sections of the Creed. Uh, first, that Jesus was born of Mary and of God. Um, that he is truly God, truly human. That was a couple weeks ago in Luke 1. Uh, last week, that Jesus suffered, died, rose from the grave to forgive guilty sinners, uh, even though he was innocent. I think that was last week and the end of Luke. Um, but today, we're going through the next section of the Creed, which states, um, he being Jesus, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. Uh, when the creed uses the word ascend, it's talking about uh, Jesus descending in his flesh, in his body, um, and going up from earth into heaven. So at the, the end of the text we just read, we saw this like really weird and powerful image of Jesus rising from like a person like me standing on the ground, going up until he's lost behind the clouds. Uh, and we really know that he went further than just the clouds. He went into heaven and is now sitting uh, at the right hand of the Father. Uh, we also see that you know, the right hand is a place given um, to those that are in authority. It's a place for like judges and kings. So Jesus went up to inherit a kingdom, um, which is, of course, really important. Uh, and then the last section of the creed, you know, it's interesting because we see Jesus like at the right hand of the Father ruling and reigning, but that seems like in some way it doesn't jive with what we see around us, that there's sin and death and suffering in the world. Uh, and the last section of the creed is gonna, is gonna deal with that. Um, and my confession in all this is, even as I was preparing, um, you know, I'd focused so much on Jesus's life and death for the forgiveness of sin, but I had missed um, and was like having trouble of thinking Jesus is king reigning now. Uh, so even as I was preparing, I was kind of like lost in the sauce of like, what's the Holy Spirit doing? I saw Jesus as this middle manager, like God in charge and then the Holy Spirit on the ground. Um, and it was changing my mind from what I've seen in Acts 1 to seeing Jesus as ruling now. That really even like unlocked this passage for me. Um, and I feel like maybe a lot of us would feel similar. Uh, a few years ago, I work at a college ministry and I was teaching uh, class about how to share the gospel, and asked the question, like, has anyone ever shared and forgotten to talk about Jesus' resurrection or his coming back? And of course, I raised my hand, and every person that was there raised their hand. Uh, and I think if we were honest with ourselves, <laughs> we would probably say the same now. And asked, you know, why is it that we neglect that part? And no one answered. And then they asked me, well, why is it that we neglect that part? <laughs> But I even thought to answer that because I was looking back on an experience I had had. Uh, right out of college, I worked at a kebab shop for a while and walked in one day to a coworker that I had been praying for for a while, and he was reading a book on the Dalai Lama. And I was like, you know, this is my chance. This is that, like, Holy Spirit given opportunity I've been looking for. Uh, so I asked him about, you know, what have you been learning? What have, like, what is appealing to you here? And he talked about uh, the Dalai Lama's Buddhist teachings, that it was an escape from suffering, um, even like a transcending from the world into kind of like a nothingness. 
Uh, and so I eagerly shared with him about, like, you know, Jesus uh, dying for him, the life he lived, uh, that he too could be forgiven and invited him to follow Jesus. And for a long time, he was tracking and engaged and asking questions. Uh, but then when I asked, he, his face kind of like twisted. And he, he was confused. And he was like, this doesn't make any sense. And it was time for us to go work. So I went to go wash dishes, but walked away thinking, why, why didn't it make sense? So as we jump into Acts 1, uh, we see Luke, the writer of Acts, and of course the writer of Luke, the gospel, thinks it's very important. Uh, he actually finishes the gospel of Luke with Jesus ascending and the disciples being happy, but moves backwards to highlight this important moment again. So if you read in verse 1, I'll just read it again. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. And he had given commandments through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Um, so again, Luke recaps the, the gospel of Luke that we've talked about over the last two weeks and then drops us right in the middle of this tense moment. Uh, you know, the di- disciples, they walked with Jesus. They had been relying on him for so long. They saw his, you know, they woke up with him. They got teaching from him. They saw him, like, uh, do all kinds of miraculous signs um, and then seemed to have some indication that he was going to leave them, that they were going to be, like, orphans without a protector. Um, and Jesus, in wanting to help them, speaks to them right afterwards, saying, um, in verse, I think it's 4, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Which he said, you heard from me, uh, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Uh, and really this just adds to the drama of the moment, because in Jewish history, only the like greats of the greats were seen as like having the Holy Spirit on them. They had seen like Jesus um, have the Holy Spirit descend on him like a dove, or you know, Moses had the Holy Spirit and passed it on to Joshua by laying his hands on him. Uh, Solomon and David prophesied when they got the Holy Spirit on them and were kings. And so who are they, just the average fishermen from Galilee, to receive the Holy Spirit? Um, and there's something really particular Jesus says, which is to wait even, even then. Uh, to pause for a moment until they had the Spirit. Um, this is Jesus preparing them for what it's going to look like when he ascends into heaven and is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Uh, so we're actually going to jump back a bit because just like Jesus had taught and given them commands to prepare them in this moment, he had also prepared them before. Uh, so in John 14 through 16, before he went to the cross, he talked to his disciples about this moment so they would have some kind of understanding of what uh, his rule and reign with him being a king would look like. Um, in John 16, 7, it says it explicitly, but I tell you the truth, it is for your benefit that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I do go, I'll send him to you. So Jesus being a king is sending an envoy in the Holy Spirit to come uh, help and empower us. Um, and he teaches them pretty specifically what, uh, what that new kingdom is going to look like. Uh, there's a few things, all in chapter 14. I won't make you turn there because it's a long chapter and all over the place. Uh, but one is that he's not abandoning them. 
He's not leaving them as orphans. If anything, he's getting closer to them. Uh, They had talked with Jesus face to face, but now God's Holy Spirit is coming to live inside of them. Uh, Jesus went to heaven and is now preparing a place for them uh, in heaven. He says, in his Father's house. Uh, He's going to empower them to do even greater works than he did. Uh, And there's all these crazy miracles in the New Testament of people being healed by just touching Jesus. And a few, few chapters later in Acts, you see uh, when, I think it's Peter, walks by, his shadow heals people. And that doesn't mean that Peter's great, but actually points to Jesus, the one empowering is great. Um, it says that anything that they ask in his name, he will do, that he and the Father will be glorified. And that he's sending the Holy Spirit to teach and to guide them. So doesn't this sound like a king, someone sitting at the right hand of God? sending an envoy, sending out us as ambassadors, listening and granting requests, making preparations. Um, But even with these preparations, the disciples seemed not to understand, which I can't blame them because in some way I haven't understood. Uh, But we see this in verse six when they ask him, uh, Lord, at this time, are you gonna restore the kingdom of Israel? Uh, And they're in their mind thinking of this political kingdom like, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon us, and Jesus is here, so it's time for him to, like, he's going to take over, take over the world. He's going to be this, like, ruling king that is going to make everything the way it should be, this, like, geopolitical Israel worldwide kingdom. Um, and maybe that was the only thing that made sense to them, but we see instead that Jesus tells them to wait, wait until the Holy Spirit comes. Um, in Luke 10, Jesus sends out his disciples and they do crazy stuff like cast out demons and heal people and talk about God's kingdom coming. They've walked with Jesus and have all kinds of knowledge, but even with the knowledge and experience and what they've seen, they're told to wait until they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is good advice for us that even if we are trained and knowledgeable, we should try to do nothing on our own without the help of the Holy Spirit. Um, we're not as experienced or knowledgeable or trained as they are. Um, and then finally, you know, Jesus says his last words that he'll say to them on earth. Um, I think if I was in Jesus' shoes, I might say something like, hey, I love y'all, or, uh, hey, you know all that stuff I've been telling you? Don't forget about that. Like, you should pay attention to, you know, all the stuff I've been telling you. Uh, I think of last words as being a way someone like summarizes what they've learned in life. Like when someone's on their deathbed, they want their last words to be encouraging and powerful and personal. Um, And this is what Jesus said. He responded to them. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the end of the earth. Uh, this is the roadmap to Jesus' new kingdom. Uh, both literally, you see like the book of Acts, they start in Jerusalem in the first third, and then they go to Judea and Samaria, and then they go out to the end of the earth. Um, but also a roadmap for us uh, to know that we should start sharing and being witnesses uh, where we are. That Jesus is reigning, directing from heaven, uh, and in his place, he has put people like us. Uh, Jesus' body is no longer on earth, his physical flesh, uh, because he rose to heaven. 
and in place, we are now the like physical presence carrying God's presence with us, partnering with the Holy Spirit, which means that when I go hang out with Indian friends, I am bringing God's presence with me. Um, or when y'all go to work uh, tomorrow and are upset with your boss, you're still hopefully bringing God's presence with you. Um, and in his last words, he tells us something specific, that we are witnesses. So this is how we should think about ourselves, as God's presence and witnesses to the ends of the earth. Uh, you think, what is a witness? Uh, I think simply of a witness just being someone who tells about what they've seen and heard. Um, so we, we might not be like the disciples who saw Jesus' facial expressions, or how he slept or ate, um, or his tone of voice, or how he woke up. Uh, but anyone who's in Christ has interacted with the living God. Um, if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, then there's these unique experiences of uh, things like having our conscience cleaned, that even though we've done wrong, it doesn't hang on us, but God has like, renewed our conscience. Um, the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, that there are love and joy and peace that surpass understanding, uh, more than we could just work for or produce on our own. Uh, things like spiritual gifts, or even, uh, you know, we have the testimony that when we read God's word, that it's good and that it speaks to us, um, as hopefully it's doing now. So again, it says that we uh, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So there seems to be an intimate connection between being a witness and receiving power from the Holy Spirit. That what Jesus is empowering is his kingdom coming about on earth. Uh, I think someone who says it better than I can is Henry Martin. Um, he said, and I think it should be up behind me, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. And the nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we must become. So again, there, there's this deep connection between uh, being a representative of Jesus, carrying the Holy Spirit with you and representing Jesus everywhere you go, uh, and your own like awe and appreciation of Jesus. Um, both saying that if you live missionally, you'll probably become closer to God. And if you become closer to God, there's no way to keep you from being missional. Uh, the more intense, maybe, version of this, I have a quote as well from Charles Spurgeon. I'll just read it. Every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Recollect that. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there's a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. The man who says, I believe in Jesus, but does not think enough of Jesus ever to tell anyone about him uh, by mouth or pen or tract is an imposter. We actually see this elsewhere in the Bible. I... The often quoted Romans 10 talks about us being saved and it says, what is it that the word of faith, the gospel, is in your heart and in your mouth? And says that we should confess that Jesus is Lord to be saved, but there's that as we get closer to God in our heart, it should also come out of our mouth. I feel like we've trivialized it to just say, oh, I've said or stated or made my statement at some point that Jesus is my Lord. But what seems to be the more plain reading is that you should be actively confessing that Jesus is your Lord. Um, and I, I think that you see this even naturally. I meet with a lot of college students, 
and someone starts dating somebody, and it feels like you can't get them to shut up about it. They want to talk to you about what they smell like, what they talk about, <laughs> um, or even in the worst form, someone goes to a new restaurant, and they're like, this is the best place. They're going to talk about it. It's going to flow out of their mouth. Uh, it almost seems to be a lot of the world that what you cherish in your heart comes out of your mouth. Um, and so it is with Jesus. So maybe a question to ask yourself is, do you find yourself speaking about Jesus? Um, and when you do, is it because you want to? Um, or is it some kind of obligation that you feel like you have to? Um, realistically, we shouldn't just because we have to, but we have been empowered by Jesus uh, in love for him to speak about him. Um, and I think this way of witnessing can look pretty different. It's not just, uh, hey, I'm going to go meet a stranger on the street and tell them about Jesus, but we should all totally do that too. Um, <laughs> but I think of like maybe the way we comfort each other. Um, Second Corinthians says that God, our Father, is the God of all comfort. And the same comfort we've received from him, we should extend to others. Uh, so are we being a witness, telling about what we've seen and heard of the way that God has comforted us? Um, another is counseling. How do we give people advice? Is it from our own minds? Or uh, have, has our mind changed by our interactions with God that we want to point people to the new way of thinking that Jesus provides? Um, another practical one is maybe just like, how do you talk with your family? Uh, I didn't tell the Reynolds I was going to say this, but uh, they've been a good example for me. When I go into their house, they have scripture written on the walls. They talk about what they read in the Bible uh, as soon as I'm there, and they ask me the same. Uh, so it is true, like, maybe just obvious that they're not faking it, but they want me and them together to know Jesus. So again, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Um, yeah. A few years ago, I went with my dad on a trip to Tanzania. Um, and some background, my dad's kind of the average American Christian. Uh, grew up in East Texas. He's an engineer, worked it his whole life. Likes hard work, watching TV, going hunting, you know. Uh, <laughs> but we went to Tanzania and went to what is the ends of the earth, where people have never seen or heard a white, or seen a white person and definitely never seen a Christian. Um, and as we walked around from hut to hut, uh, kind of had the need to spread out wide, and so he went by himself for the first time just to a, a hut with his translator, who's also a Christian. Um, they got there, and people came out and met them, sat under a tree, uh, sat on the sand, and they started sharing their testimony, what they had seen and heard of God, and then also uh, the gospel. They drew out the three circles, if you've ever seen that in the sand. Uh, and when they were just about finishing up, he saw something out of the corner of his eye. And it was a man, like, twitching and writhing on the ground. And so he asked his, his translators, like, oh, is that guy having a seizure? And, you know, they were more used to the environment and said, no, he's possessed by a demon. Uh, what should we do? And <laughs> my dad hasn't studied exorcism or anything like that. <laughs> uh, but knew that Jesus had empowered his disciples to cast out demons. Um, and so said, I guess we should go pray for him in Jesus' name. And they prayed, and he came to, uh, not immediately, but quickly. Uh, and they said, hey, we have a message for you. And he said, no, I already heard it. 
uh, I want to follow Jesus too. Um, so I asked him that night when he told me, you know, what was that like? Was it dramatic? Was it intense? And he said, no, I had two overwhelming feelings. Uh, one was that it had nothing to do with me. And the second was that God was completely in control. Um, and so it's the same with us. The power uh, to see those miraculous signs accompanies the message that's being said. Uh, even when Jesus and the disciples did these miraculous works, it was so that people would believe their message. Um, Yeah, so we see what kind of kingdom Jesus is building, one that grows its influence to the far edges of earth with goodness. Um, There's another part of the Bible where Jesus actually says that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations before, or and then the end will come. Um, So we asked earlier, why is there still pain and suffering in the world? It seems like Jesus has allotted a short period of time where people will have a chance to respond to him. Um, while he's in heaven, there's time for Jesus' witnesses, us, to go and preach to every tribe, tongue, and nation. But someday soon, he's going to come back, and as the creed says, to judge the living and the dead. Uh, and so in the last verse, we see it, or see it, at least this alluded to, um, in verses 10 and 11. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, uh, he, Jesus, was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Uh, This Jesus who was taken up from you will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. So, again, can you imagine what that would look like? Just some person like Alberto uh, lifting up in the air so far that you can't see him behind the clouds? It's an image that's going to be burned in your mind for as long as you live. Um, yeah, a few weeks ago, Robert talked about how uh, words are important, and we should like pay attention to themes that we hear. So, like, an example is in Acts one, we hear that like all nations and uh, kingdom and Jesus reigning. We see those words uh, laid out as themes that we'll see for the rest of Acts. Uh, but also, sometimes the Bible uses these profound images rather than exact words to help us put things together. Um, we also talked about how angels are, I think we saw in Luke 1 and Luke 23, with Jesus' birth and death, the angels came sure, or came to make sure that they got the message right. And here, they're trying to make sure that the, the disciples get the message right, but it seems cryptic, right? Um, he will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Um, and I, really what this is pointing to isn't just like an explanation of the way he's going to come back, but also the image that ties it to both the prophetic history and then what is coming, and we'll see again in Revelations. Um, I won't get you all to turn there, but... Well, I guess first, the image that we see is Jesus coming out of the clouds as one like us, a son of man. Um, So in Daniel, there is a vision, and it says that with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom uh, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Doesn't that seem to tie together what we're seeing in Acts 1? Again, we see it in Revelations 1, 7, and 8. So uh, I think it should be up behind me. To him who has loved us and freed us from our sins by uh, by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest 
to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. Uh, So let's think a little bit about even what this says and what we've heard. Uh, Jesus has given the disciples power. He's freed them from sin, made them witnesses that they would be a kingdom of priests growing on earth. Um, They're worshiping God Almighty with all authority. And he is coming to judge the living and the dead, as the creed says. Uh, People from Jerusalem, the place where Jesus was pierced, and crucified, we'll see him come. People from Judea and Samaria, where Jesus taught about his kingdom that was coming, will see him. Uh, the living and the dead, the most remote tribes and all the earth, will see him come on the clouds. Uh, and for us, this should be a message of encouragement, something we can put our hope in and know that one day everything will be okay. Uh, but we also see that on account of him, many will wail. Um, that some will bow our knees in honor to a king, excited that we get to serve Jesus as king, and others will bow like a conquered kingdom out of dread and hate and despair, that they've been forced to bow. Um, So there seems to be a tension between a joy and hope for us, but then also this motivation of until Jesus comes back, um, I guess knowing the results of what happens when Jesus comes back that he will judge the living and the dead. Uh, We see some of this fleshed out again later on in Revelations. Uh, It says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he'll dwell with them. They'll be his people, and God himself will uh, be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have passed away. So we need this truth. Um, The Bible doesn't promise us that we're going to get the job we want or that we can get enough money that we'll feel secure. Uh, It doesn't tell us that we'll get fame or security. Um, But what it does tell us is that if we suffer, for Jesus' sake, we'll also rule with him. And that our suffering means something. Um, That one day we will be with the Lord and bliss forever if we trust in him. Uh, and this is really the only sure thing that we can put hope in. Uh, all the other hopes can fade away. Uh, and there's actually advice in the Bible that we should use these words to comfort and encourage each other. Um, that when someone is having trouble, we can say, hey, remember, one day you're going to be with the Lord. Things are going to get better. But maybe not in this life. Um, just a few verses down from that, there seems to be the tension of that for others, this will be an unimaginable terror and visceral despair. Um, A few verses later, we read, but to the cowardly, unbelieving, uh, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, the place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. Um, And at one time, we were all cowardly, unbelieving liars, sexually immoral, pretty much everything on the list. Um... And for some of you here, your conscience might be telling you now that this is you. Um, You heard something in there and are thinking, you know, um, yeah, that this is me and that you deserve to be thrown into a lake of fire. Um, 
Maybe you haven't experienced the power or intimacy of the Holy Spirit um, or really feel like you've ever submitted to following King Jesus. Uh, I would encourage you that this is the time to respond. Uh, as Jesus said to his disciples, it's not for us to know the time or day that he's coming back. Um, but as long as it's today, we still have time to turn and repent and follow Jesus. Uh, for the rest of us, this should motivate us to be witnesses because this is the same for the people that we love, that we cherish, that don't know who Jesus is. Um, so last I'm going to end with some practical application. Um, first, I've found that for myself it's really difficult to remember that Jesus is coming back, uh, to feel motivated. I get wrapped up in the everyday other cares of life uh, and really thought about the disciples that you know, they had this image burned into their mind of Jesus going into the clouds. Uh, but as they walked around and taught and suffered, they had this constant reminder that Jesus was coming back and that he was ruling and reigning from heaven right now. So what would it mean for us to try and remind ourselves of that more often? How would our lives change if we were thinking about that more constantly? Uh, some ways to do this. I started setting an alarm on my phone every morning so that when I wake up, it says, Jesus is coming back. Um, and to be honest, it has <laughs> helped quite a bit. Uh, another is maybe just, you know, it's a wonderful day. When you look up at the clouds, try and imagine what that day will be like. Um, try and make that an image that's important to you so that when you look up at the clouds, you think of Jesus coming back. Uh, or just maybe <laughs> write a verse like Revelations 1, 7, and 8 on your wall uh, or on your mirror so that you see it more constantly. Uh, another you know, practical application is we're about to go into Thanksgiving, which means is we're thinking of like, oh, who do we be witnesses to? Uh, for all of us in the room, it's probably about the same. <laughs> we're all going to family and should be witnesses to our family. Question to ask, are you taking advantage of counseling and comforting uh, your family with the gospel? Are you using your talents and gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you to serve them, serve the church? Um, you know, I think my... My grandmother around this time died about five years ago. Um, and at her funeral, she had written a letter, which were her last words. And in it, she kind of confessed that I haven't really shared about my relationship with Jesus with many of you. Uh, us who were really close knew a bit, but she had friends there that had never heard. And on her deathbed, she said, this is what I want y'all to know, that I follow Jesus, uh, that he is my hope, and that I'm going to be with him when I leave. Um, so I also think we can follow her example uh, and rather than regretfully say at the end of our lives to go to death joyfully knowing that we have constantly testified to Jesus coming back uh, I also told y'all at the beginning about my coworker that works at the kebab shop and uh, you know as soon as I left I agonized over him while doing dishes for I don't know at least a couple hours and I uh, was trying to figure out what's missing, what's wrong. Uh, and I actually didn't figure it out by thinking through the gospel. I figured it out through thinking about what he was looking for. He was looking at Buddhism and saying, what does it mean that I can escape suffering? This seems good. I want to escape suffering. Uh, but the, the gospel that ended in Jesus' death, there wasn't a good explanation of how he or we would ever escape suffering. But with Jesus' ascension being king and coming back, there was. Uh, he was looking for just like a, a way to get away, uh, an eternal life that kind of 
is just like a fading into nothingness. But we know that there will be a day filled with joy where we will walk among God. Um, and balanced as a lot of things are in a hard way, he didn't submit to Jesus. And as Revelation 1 says, the response for us is kind of even so. It's still good. Um, so with that, I'm going to pray. And then I think Robert's coming up afterwards. So pray with me. Father, first we are just thankful for Jesus' life and death, his resurrection, uh, his reign and rule in heaven now, and that one day he will reign and rule completely where we won't have to experience all the trials and hardship we do now, but can trust and love you forever. Um, Father, I pray that you would help us to actually reckon with the true things we've seen in Acts 1. Uh, that we would think about when you're coming back, that we would be witnesses, uh, that you would put people and places on our hearts to testify about you um, from now until the point that we die, and that we would adhere to Jesus' words to be witnesses filled by the power of the Holy Spirit to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We pray all this in Jesus' name, knowing that he hears us.